Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Counting on Chasen. We're really excited that you've joined us today. We have a lot to talk about, and it all revolves around fiduciary responsibility. And guess what? We need to even understand it, because I don't think we do. Today, we have an amazing guest with us, Jackie McLaughlin, CPA, Client Services Manager for Chasen & Company, who's going to help us kind of weed out some of these things. Welcome, Jackie. <laughs> Thank you. I'm happy to be here. You know, I'm delighted to have you here because I think this is kind of a sticky wicket, as they say, for conversation. And I got to start out by saying, I don't think we really understand what this means. I think we bandy this word about and it sounds important and it sounds legal. But I'm wondering if your experience tells you we don't really understand it. I absolutely agree with you. It's it's very few boards that I sit in front of who truly understand what fiduciary responsibility means. Wow. Okay. So that kind of makes me uncomfortable, but that's why we're here yep. having this discussion to try and figure it out. So mm -hmm. help me understand what does it mean to have fiduciary responsibility? Because it almost seems like it's a title it's a responsibility that is legal. Is it everything in between? Help us with that. Yeah, I think the easiest way to understand fiduciary responsibility is to think about parenting. If you're a parent and you have a minor child that you're responsible for, you naturally always act in that child's best interest. And in nonprofit organizations, the board is that parent for the nonprofit organization which functions as a child. And fiduciaries particularly, or board members, have three different types of responsibilities. They have a duty of loyalty, a duty of obedience, and a duty of care. So the duty of obedience is fairly simple. It just means help ensure that the nonprofit's complying with laws and regulations. But the duty of care is a bigger issue than that. And that truly is acting without regard to your own interests in a way that's in the best interest of the not-for-profit. They are your minor child. Wow. You know, I've, I've been around the block, I got to say, for a <laughs> long time. I've never had anyone express that in such a rudimentary way, but that it's spot on. It's spot on. And that's really great. Thank you for sharing that because that kind of helps, I think, set the tone for the rest of the questions that I'm going to pepper at you because mm -hmm. you've really set forth a different way um, to think about it. So when we think about it in that way, um, that means that there are a lot of different things that fiduciary responsibility means. It's not just one thing. No, it is a number of things. So we can start at the highest level of being a board member. The highest level, or what I like to say, let's fly 50,000 feet and then we can come down into the details. At 50,000 feet, the board is setting the tone at the top. That's an expression we like to use in accounting. You don't need to be an accountant to understand it. If you want an organization of people who make moral and ethical and right choices, then board members, you need to start at the top and make those right choices and deliver that message. 
just like you would if you were raising a child. You teach your children not to commit crimes. You lead by example. You also express that to them. It's exactly the same thing that you're doing here. So you, boards have to set the tone at the top. Then coming down a little bit from there, boards need to keep their pulse on the strategic vision. Is the vision aligning with the mission of the organization? So if the mission is to feed homeless people, and then there's a strategic vision to relocate homeless people, I would question whether that's consistent with the mission, which is feeding homeless people. Now, one of the challenges that boards have is that the president or executive director of a nonprofit, they're in that position because they're passionate about what they do and they love what they do and they want to help people and their minds run a thousand miles an hour. And it's very easy for them to get off course because suddenly this nonprofit director who wants to feed homeless people, they understand, oh my goodness, um, we need to move these homeless people out of this area and then their hearts and their minds want to move these homeless people. But hang on, that's not your mission. So the board sometimes has to keep that president or ED in check and kind of keep them reined in and focus on what the mission is and in each year's strategic visions. And yeah. as part of, oh, I'm sorry. No, go no, ahead. go ahead. I, 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 you've really... Wow, you've nailed so many issues that I see, and I never framed this up as a fiduciary responsibility. I think I hear the word fiduciary, and I think financial. Oh, well, and that's where I was, the next place I was going to. Um, board members need to make sure that the way the money is being spent is efficient and consistent with what's been represented to donors, consistent with the mission statement. So back to my example, if a president wants to now relocate homeless people, in addition to feeding them, board members need to say, okay, wait a minute. First of all, that's not in our mission. It's not in our strategic vision. It's a great idea, but it's not really in our wheelhouse. And by the way, if we did it, how would we pay for it? Because it's not budgeted and we don't have the money to pay for this. So oftentimes that combination of keeping your eye on the finances kind of dovetails in with sometimes having to keep the ED executive director or president a little reined in and everything they want to do. Wow. You know, um, it's such an interesting thing because I'm seeing you use words like, you know, strategic vision, the monitoring, leadership, compliance, even governance, and that's all under the umbrella of fiduciary responsibility. Really interesting. And in the very beginning, you said, I don't see a lot of organizations that actually <laughs> understand this and navigate through this. I think it's because what you just said. It's because we are not painting the picture of really understanding the vocabulary and then the intent of that vocabulary. Um, and so it's really, I, I'm so excited that you'd share this with us because um, it really, I think, resets for me, Jackie, what the board member responsibility is. So I think a lot of board members really think, oh man, okay, here come the accountants. 
Here come the bean counters. Okay, it's all about financials. And while it is, it isn't. So could you talk to us a little bit about that as well? Love this question. So I like to talk about Warren Buffett a little bit, because when Warren Buffett talks about investing and how he's been so successful in investing, he always says, invest in what you're interested in and invest in what you know. And if you do that, you don't necessarily need to be these sophisticated investors who understand ratios and all this complicated stuff. Being a board member is the same exact concept. Be a board member for an organization that interests you and that you know something about. And then it's common sense from there. If the accountants start going off on debits and credits and ASC 606 and all these words that non-accountants don't understand, board members, from what I've seen, just kind of zone out. Oh, no, here it comes. We have to listen to this. Whereas what they should be doing is stopping everything and saying, wait a minute. I don't understand this. You're showing me a picture that last year revenues were $5 million and this year revenues are on pace to be $4 million. What's up? I don't need to understand accounting lingo and ASC 606 to have common sense and say, help me understand the story these numbers are telling me. I love that. And I think you just gave me permission as a board member to say that and feel it and, and articulate it. I think a lot of times we, we do think this, but we are afraid to speak up and we don't, we just let it slide by. And we're like, well, you know, the finance committee looked at that. So I'm sure it's good. Um, one of the things that you point out, and I really want to get your opinion on this is a part of fiduciary responsibility that involves the word controls and understanding financial controls. And again, I think sometimes as a board member, we're like, okay, well, that's on, you know, operations and not on us. But I think you're going to tell me that's not exactly right. That's not exactly right. Oh, so okay, explain that. Internal controls is kind of an easy concept, although it sounds scary. And unfortunately, it's really about thinking like a criminal. So you have to think if a criminal wanted to steal money from this organization, what safeguards can we put in place to prevent a criminal from stealing money from this organization? And there are some basic things you can do. So for example, it's not uncommon if a nonprofit is going to write a check for more than $10,000 or whatever the magic number is, it'll be different for each nonprofit. It may require the president's signature and another signature on top of that. That's an example of a control that would make it difficult for a criminal to steal money. Mm -hmm. Another thing that they can do is make sure that the person who puts the money in the bank isn't the same person who authorizes money coming out of the bank. Out of the bank and is not the same person who reconciles the bank statement at the end of every month. Mm -hmm. And you would be surprised actually at how many nonprofits are not vigilant about reconciling their bank statements every month. And it's critical, a critical control. Mm -hmm. On top of that, a review process. So here's another example of internal controls. Your executive director, your president probably has an organization credit card. Those charges 
should be approved and reviewed by a board member. Now you don't wanna halt the operations. So every time the president charges, you don't need to call a board member, but every quarter, if not every month, uh, but at least every quarter, a board member should be presented with the president or executive director's charges for the last month, three months, however often you're doing it. And they should review those charges and sign off on them. If the executive director is going to get a raise, that should be approved by the board and should be in the minutes of the board meeting. So there are controls such as that, that a lot of us take for granted as being everyday normal controls that sometimes nonprofits may or may not have in place that board members can ask about to ensure that the opportunity to steal or cook the books is minimized. You know, it's such an interesting thing, and it goes back to the very beginning of our conversation this morning on, on counting on Chazen, is that um, it's really a lot more than just one thing. It almost seems, <laughs> if you will, like a mindset. <laughs> Would that be kind of a good way to phrase it and to, to kind of um, put that, as you use that word, that accounting umbrella over this? There is the accounting umbrella over it, but yes, it's as you're saying, it's a lot more than that. And I just keep going back to the parent-child example. The parents set the tone at the top. The parents set the strategic vision for the family. And maybe that's a, we eat dinner together every night. We take a family vacation once a year. The parents make sure that the money is in the bank to cover these things. The parents make sure that if they particularly have young children, the children might be getting dropped off at the bus stop and picked up at the bus stop to ensure their safety. These are all the things that a, a board member does for a nonprofit organization. Oh my gosh. I love, love, love how you phrase this because I'm going to get real right now for a minute. And I think that um, a lot of people join boards for other reasons. You, you know, you, you mentioned, um, and going back to the Oracle of Omaha, you know, Warren Buffett, <laughs> um, that whole thing of invest in what you know and what you can learn about and appreciate. Mm -hmm. And as board members, we are investing in our community, in our topic and our mission and our passion. But sometimes that goes to the wayside because there are strategies that we take um, that are more egotistical. They they make they look good on a resume, or they um, help us. We think it can help us build business in other ways. And mm -hmm. I would almost say we need to think about that in terms of fiduciary responsibility. Yep, I have seen many boards who come together to network and meet other people in their community and really don't help guide the decision making of the organization. In reality, I think you can have all of the above. If you have a board full of passionate people about that nonprofit they're helping, and in the course of being passionate and making the right decisions for the organization, they get to meet each other and they extend their network. But one of the important points of being a fiduciary is also something called a conflict of interest policy that boards should have. So the conflict of interest policy says, if I'm a board member, the nonprofit that I'm serving on is not gonna automatically do business with me. Now, if 
if my service is required and my pricing is market value, a nonprofit can do business with me. But I shouldn't get on a board in the hopes that I will get their business. It's just sort of a side thing if the nonprofit has the need. For example, we have a client and they rent out um, their business is commercial real estate and they rent out commercial real estate. They're a board member on a nonprofit that needs new space. They need to get into new space. So the board member said, hey, I have space for you. You can rent space for me. And so what the, the board, the whole board had to do to uphold their fiduciary responsibility is look at the lease rental that this person was gonna charge the organization. Look at the lease rental rates of competitors. And if it was market value, and it was, they went ahead and gave the business to the board members. But all of this was documented in the minutes. It was discussed in a board meeting. And when the person with the rental property, when it came to a vote, that person left the room, recused themselves from the vote, et cetera. So it was all on the up and up and that it's perfectly fine. What we want to stop is another example where I saw a board member who is an investment advisor and he wanted to put the nonprofit in a terrible investment that would have yielded him a lot of commission. That is not, not good fiduciary responsibility. No, no. And so the board had to get involved and stop, the rest of the board had to get involved and stop that. Wow. I love that you brought that up because I think those are two very realistic um, situations, choices, whatever you want to call it. I mean, they're, they're operational issues that nonprofits are looking at morning, noon, and night. And so I think that's really powerful and I appreciate that. Um, before I ask you my next question, the COI policy, which is really a big thing, and we, we um, have been talking a lot about that, I'm counting on Chazen episodes, you have to declare that you have that, right? In your 990 form to the IRS? Well, the IRS asks if you have a conflict of interest policy. So you can say yes, you can say no. Right. Um, there is a misconception out there that the IRS requires it. They don't. They just ask about they it. They just ask. And it's like a check mark. Interesting. Correct. Okay. They also ask about a whistleblower policy, which oh. again is a good idea. Not required, but a good idea. Whistleblower policy also helps this tone at the top. When the board says, hey, people on payroll or anybody else, if you see something funny going on that's not in the best interest of the organization or you see somebody stealing, you can take these steps to report it and you will remain anonymous. Awesome, I did not know that. And that is a great thing. Again. All of these things that you're talking about feed back into fiduciary responsibility. It's been yes. really interesting today, Jackie, to hear um, about a bigger picture, I almost want to say, and, and all these different things that feed into this. So my last question is going to be a doozy, I got to tell you. <laughs> How do we know when we're doing this right? I mean, there's been so much that you've shared with us today. So how do we know? How do we know if we're doing it right? We don't. <laughs> we don't know if we're quote unquote doing it right. 
Okay. But there are steps that we can take. And, you know, I always love, as you know, Julia, I always love to compare accounting to weight loss yes. so, or to trying to get healthier. So if you're trying to get healthier, lose weight, you, there are steps, you know, you can take, eat more vegetables, eat more fruit, exercise a little more, eat less sugar, those types of things. Right. If you do that, those steps, you may or may not lose weight. Some people don't you're more likely to if you do those steps. And that's very much like this fiduciary responsibility question. I don't know that we ever know if we're doing it right, but if we set a good tone at the top, if we work to stay consistent with the mission and the strategic vision, we question the financial statements with common sense questions, get away from all the accountant talk, who cares about that? Look at it like Warren Buffett would with common sense, ask common sense questions. We have conflict of interest policy. We have a whistleblower policy. We're more than likely to be showing, demonstrating good fiduciary responsibility. You know, it almost, I, I've loved everything that you've said because um, a lot of this has been like swirling around in my brain and through observation and everything, but I have not heard anybody really articulate this the way you have. And I, I so appreciate this, Jackie, because it almost seems like this should be a part of onboarding or even at that beginning of the year uh, review that we do, we should be doing <laughs> with our boards that says, you know, like, here's the COI policy, here are bylaws, blah, 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 blah. Um, almost stepping back for a minute and talking about what fiduciary responsibility means, because it's such a... I think, Jackie, I really got to say, I think this is something we gloss over. We absolutely gloss over it. And it's one of the most important functions out there. And what it means is asking questions. Yeah. And so let me give you another story from 150 years ago when I was young, <laughs> right out of college. And I worked for a defense contractor and I was in a meeting and sort of like the military, they love to throw out acronyms. And I was too green, didn't know any different. And I said, hey, I don't understand what that means, that ABC acronym, whatever they said. Good for you. The room went silent. No one could believe I asked this. And I actually got in trouble for asking it. But here's the thing, no one could tell me what it meant. They didn't know, which is why I got in trouble. So sometimes... It's good to ask questions, even when that feels uncomfortable. Enron's a perfect example. Enron went down for 100,000 different reasons. But the most basic reason is when Enron was doing what they were doing, people were sitting around that table going, I don't understand this. But no one would say it. No one would ask the questions. If you're a board member, ask the questions. Don't be afraid. And somebody good and decent who's presenting the information will never make you feel like a fool for asking a question, ever. And if they do, they need to be replaced. <laughs> They're the wrong person. Exactly. Absolutely. Wow. You know, Jackie, I always love talking with you because um, I think you are an incredible mind and a great talent and you're a CPA. And so when immediately when I see those three little letters, I'm like, okay, you know, you're going to be in a different lane than I am. But yeah. You're not, you, you, you really get in with 
me on so many issues. I know we have you back for some other episodes on Counting mm-hmm. on Chazen. So check those out. Jackie has an amazing, amazing um, field of knowledge and works with nonprofits. Chazen and Company is very interesting for an accounting firm because they specialize in nonprofit organizations. And so this is really an incredible opportunity. Jackie, thank you so much for coming um, on with us today, sharing your wisdom and uh, I think empowering us to understand how we can do and be better. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's a lot of fun. We'll see you back here again for the next episode of Counting on Chasen. I'm Julia Patrick, CEO of the American Nonprofit Academy. And I've been joined today by Jackie McLaughlin, CPA, Client Services Manager of Chasen & Company. Thanks so much. Thank you.